Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Today is an Ask Andrew Anything, and I've got some good ones for you today. Oh, I love and hate the Ask Andrew Anything but I can always refuse to answer, right? <laughs> this is true. This is true. So Yeah, there, it's always a lot of fun to hear some of the questions that many people have and then some of the ones that are a little unusual. A so. little unusual. Right. So okay, this is kind of a technical question. Technical is good. This is clearly someone who has watched our Teaching Writing Structure and Style DVD course. Praise the Lord. Right? <laughs> send, send it. All right. And this is specifically about the level P demonstration class that you did. That was just so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. wow. So, Anne-Marie, can Mr. Poudois explain on why the kindergarten second grade class, he used the word fox both in the title and the keyword outline, but he desired for the students in the third to fifth grade class to not use the word grasshopper in the keyword outline since the word grasshopper was in the title? Well, I would say that there's probably no exact reasoning behind that. As we've talked about many times, I do teach the people that are there. I adjust myself according to who I'm speaking, doing that with decades of experience of teaching children and adults of all different ages and aptitudes and language abilities. I would guess that intuitively, my thought was, we want this to be absolutely concrete, fox in the title, fox in the keyword outline, Fox will be right there, ready to copy. You won't have to make this kind of jump and figure that out again. You want these little six-year-olds to make it as easy, as clear as possible. Whereas with kids a little older, you can say, well, you don't have to write Fox. You probably remember it's a Fox. We just wrote Fox. And that makes more sense to them. Right. Same thing I might do, and I don't know if I did on those classes or not, I might with younger children, write out the whole character, whatever. And then with older kids, I might say, well, we know what it is. Let's just put the initial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So when we're doing the ant and the grasshopper, just put A to remind you the ant was talking, G to remind you the grasshopper was talking. Mm-hmm. So that's appropriate. It's a little more abstract for maybe an upper elementary class where it might be a little risky with these little guys and What's the A again? You know? <laughs> right. So Exactly, yeah. There's no logic, but maybe good intuition. Yep. Oh, and by the way, that first question was from Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie. Yes, and she has lots of good questions. So Courtney asks, after listening to several dozens of your podcasts, thank you, Courtney, I have a question, but it's not about writing. Is that okay? Is that legal? We'll see. Well, it's Ask Andrew Anything. Anything. Well. Okay. Thank you for all the wonderful wisdom that has been shared in these informative conversations. Andrew mentions Suzuki-like math instruction and the value of drills in education. My question is this, what math program would you recommend that is in alignment with IEW type of instruction for both K2 learners and beyond? Well, I'm always very hesitant to answer these kinds of questions in public because Mm -hmm. 
it gives the impression that I might endorse right. one over another. But I'll make some general observations. You certainly have extremes. Mm-hmm. On one extreme, you have a program such as Kumon mm-hmm. or Singapore. And these are structured for mastery. They're structured that you keep doing that particular little type of problem again and again and again and again until you have a high level of speed and accuracy. And then you go to the next level of complexity. And that has its benefits. It also has some risks. Not everybody can tolerate that much repetition. And then they start to push back or get irritated or complain or whatever. On the other extreme, you've got some programs that are definitely more designed to teach a concept. And once you understand the concept, there's no need to drill and kill because you understand the concept, so move on to the next one. I won't name specifically, but these usually have some type of manipulatives or visual pieces so that the children have a more multi-sensor experience. And the idea is if they can manipulate the thing and get the right answer, this demonstrates they understand the concept. And so why beat the dead horse? Mm-hmm. You also have some that try to do both and have, say, a spiral approach. So yes. you learn a concept, you practice a little bit. Now you learn a new concept, you practice a little bit, you learn a new concept. Now you go back and repractice that concept and then go repractice the next one. And mm-hmm. so you're spiraling around. All three have advantages and disadvantages. If you go purely, do you understand the concept? Well, yes, I understand why six times seven is 42. I can line up six sets of seven or seven sets of six. I know there's 42 blocks there. But then is that a mastery enough that if someone says 42 divided by seven and you know six? If you don't know six, you have to try to figure it out by applying the concept, you're handicapped later Mm -hmm. on, Mm -hmm. especially when you get to fractions or certainly in algebra, then the spiral approach may or may not give enough repetition to get both the concept and the mastery. What works for some won't work for everyone. And that, I think, is one of the challenges of selecting a math program. You also look at more traditional math programs. Go back 150 years ago, math was very practical. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the problems began, a lot of the practice began with word problems. Mm -hmm. So here's the problem. How many bushels can you fit in a card of such and such a size? (laughs) And Um, we would say now, what's a bushel? (laughs) Right. And so you would construct the math from the circumstance, Mm -hmm. apply the concept, and then use your mastery of the facts. Mm -hmm. We don't tend to to do that as much anymore. We We kind of do it the reverse. We create a problem and practice that. And then we try to say, now do you see that type of problem inside this word problem Mm -hmm. or this situation rather than extracting the equation from the problem or situation? I actually met a guy once who applied our keyword outline system to helping students do word problems Mm -hmm. in high school math. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. And I think that would be really helpful. When you were describing different ways to teach math, I was thinking the cyclical approach, that's of course how we teach the nine units. And then the mastery learning, that's how we teach our stylistic techniques. So we are doing both in our system. So is there a math program that actually incorporates both? I do think that some students do better Mm -hmm. with just a very straightforward 
mm-hmm. practice, learn, do. And other kids need that manipulative thing. They need a multi-sensory. They need mm-hmm. a slower runway. They may need more repetition. Right. So I guess I can't actually say what Courtney should do, but I'm sure that if she continues to investigate the options, she'll find what's right for each or several of her children. Right. So Courtney, if you call us up and ask us what's the best writing program, we can absolutely advise you on that. Math, maybe not so much. I also have too many friends in the world of homeschool publishing. Yes, you and do. And so if I were to name one, I'd have to name them all just to be fair to my friends. Yep. Okay. I have a question for you from Kate. She's a little overwhelmed. Kate is overwhelmed? Yes, she is. Okay. She teaches master's and undergraduate students at the university. Well, that's the problem right there. Well, I'm not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) She homeschools her three children, ages 3, 8, and 12. Wow. She's also a Girl Scout leader, leads a monthly 4-H co-op project. Some homeschool parents are even busier with more kids, additional volunteer works and co-ops. Sometimes I feel I'm just tired of teaching, or better said, (laughs) tired of the traditional teacher delivery image. Here's the question. Do you have any suggestions to avoid teacher's burnout or possible alternatives, activities, ideas to the traditional delivery method? Well, I assume when she says traditional delivery method, she's talking about a formal presentation, printed text materials to supplement activities that are very teacher-directed. And it is tiring. You were a teacher. I taught in a school for a while. And I I remember coming home at 4 o'clock and just being completely Mm -hmm. wiped out. I I couldn't do anything. I just throw myself on the bed and not try not to think I have to go back and do this again tomorrow. (laughs) So it it is a very draining job, especially when you feel like you have to do it all. Right. So for the mom with several kids or the mom who's very busy and has children – always looking for something that they can do on their own. How can they become more self-directed? This is one appeal that we often hear from people who purchase our spelling program. Right. That's one thing he can do by himself. Right. He can self-test, self-correct. He can, I, I, I hardly have to do a thing. I love it. And of course, as kids get a little bit older and hers are on the young side of getting older, but they'll be there very soon, they should be able to do more and more on their own. Mm -hmm. So looking for curricular material that is somewhat self-directed can be a big boon. People Mm -hmm. love that about our student writing intensive and continuation course. Mm -hmm. They'd love to teach it, but they know they won't. So, okay, the video is second best or the online class. Mm -hmm. In terms of the college teaching university students, that depending on what you're teaching, if you're teaching writing or English or anything that requires feedback, exactly that is usually where it's just exhausting is giving all that feedback. And so you've heard on my talk, The Four Deadly Errors, that I endorse, at least for my purposes, a minimalist approach mm-hmm. to marking on student papers. Read them, mark as little as you can to make it legal, hand it back, And they just make notes about what they need to learn based on the types of things they did in the papers and then construct your lessons from those notes. And then you could, you know, teaching composition, you could walk in and probably do a whole little class 
on some aspect of composition just from the notes you made about the goofy things you found in the student papers. I do think the sabbatical is Mm -hmm. an awesome idea, (laughs) but maybe not just for tenured professors. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is that every six years, it would be okay to take a year off and not necessarily do nothing, but do something completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think homeschool moms could even do this. Take a year off from formal academics and just do something else. Read to your kids, produce a play, take a road trip across the country, or you know whatever you can. Study something completely different and don't worry about the normal things. Keep up with the math because you don't want to lose momentum in a cumulative subject. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everything else can be put on hold and you can... You can just have some, have a break yep. from it all. And sometimes it's just an attitude. You know, one little story, maybe you've heard me tell this story. I was out with the kids. I think it was someone's birthday and they wanted to buy birthday presents. So I've got, you know, three three kids with me, I guess. My wife calls and says, please keep the kids another hour or so. I said, well, we're actually done. I was coming home. I have stuff to do. And she says, no, please just keep the kids another hour, Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm done. I want to come home. I want to work. I'm begging you. Just keep the kids. Okay. That's what mm-hmm. husbands are for. So mm-hmm. we go do something else for another hour or two. We get home. And she had this little homeschool room with desks and a whiteboard and a little classroom inside the house. Mm-hmm. And she had completely transformed it. The desks were gone, beanbag chairs in the place, good, beautiful art on the wall. The whole thing looked more like a airport lounge for kids than in, than a home school room. And my daughter, Julia, she's probably six at the time. She comes in and she goes, Mom, what did you do? <laughs> and my, my wife says, Julia, we're not going to homeschool anymore. And Julia says, we're not? What are we going to do? And she says, we're going to do learning. Aww. And Julia says, what's that? (laughs) So sometimes it's just a a change of environment, a shift. Mm -hmm. We all need variety. I think that's why in the book of Genesis, the Mm -hmm. day of rest was established. So maybe we need to take that and look at different ways to implement that in our life. The only thing I would add to your advice, Andrew, good advice, is for Kate, just to know that there are seasons in life. And this season for you right now, with your children ages 3, 8, and 12, it may be time for you to step back and let someone else do the co-op leader, the 4-H, and you just enjoy being a mom. Okay, I have another question. Oh, this question is from Julie, but it's not me. It's a different Julie. I'll know if it's a plant. I'll know. (laughs) I have a question. My son, 14, was a non-reader at seven and very much wanted to read but could not decode at all or he just memorized simple sight words. He received intensive Linda Mood Bell Mm -hmm. intervention and within three months went from a non-reader to a fourth grade level. He just needed that. Yeah, so there's a plug for Linda Mood Bell. I don't know if he was officially a dyslexic. He does have ADHD inattentive that inattentiveness that significantly affects his academic work. My question is this, while he reads at a college level now, (laughs) he does occasionally come across words that he can't decode and seems to have lost the ability to decode unfamiliar words. Mm -hmm. I'm unsure if I should go back and focus on decoding 
That seemed labor-intensive, considering his reading level was so high, and frankly, I wouldn't know what method to use at his age. Or should I focus on vocabulary building? Yeah, it's a good question, and we do tend to kind of assume that as soon as kids are able to read whatever we throw at them, they know all the words in all the books. Truth is, most of us do not know all the words in all the books we read. Absolutely. I stumble across words all the time. And I love having my phone with me because Mm -hmm. I never wanted to lug a dictionary around. And, of course, pulling out your computer. But now I use my dictionary and thesaurus Mm -hmm. continuously Mm -hmm. because I like to know not just what do I think it means, but what does it really mean? What are alternate means? What's the root and origin? Mm -hmm. When did it first come into use? So... I would encourage this student, if he has access to a device that will give him Merriam-Webster's online dictionary or something equivalent, that it's worth the fee for the app. Yes, absolutely. And if he's not quite at the age of having a phone yet or an iPod, then soon he will be. Mm -hmm. But I find reading even more enjoyable now when I have quick access to information about the words. Now... Mm -hmm. Her particular quandary, there's a couple ways to think about this. It's possibly not decoding so much as it is the word is just not in his database. We talk about this a lot in the four arts of language, the relationship between hearing and reading. Yes. So I think one example I often use is you've got a, a young child learning to read, and they, they sound out the word, and they say, What's a sligha? There's no such thing as a sligha. Oh, wait a minute. I remember. That's A, like eight. That must be slay. Now, this is the moment. If you know what a slay is, it all makes sense. If you don't know what a slay is, it doesn't make sense. You still can't read it. Right. You've decoded it. You've even maybe said it properly. Mm-hmm. But you can do that with all sorts of words. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what they mean. Therefore, you guess. Yes. Or you just skip it. Yes. And so that's what happens a lot, I think, with readers in that middle zone. They're interested in reading at a high level. There's words that are maybe not in their active vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So that's why I would lean in answering her question, toward the latter, mm-hmm. build the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know what I'm going to say next. Yes. Study Latin. Yes. Sixty-some percent of all English words of three syllables or more are derived from the Latin. So it kind of gives you x-ray vision into English vocabulary. And you could supplement that with a Latin and Greek word roots program. And that would then build not only the recognition, but also the ability to actively use words and move them into the vocabulary. You learn cron, C-H-R-O-N, and suddenly it's very easy to learn chronicle, chronic, synchronous, asynchronous, anachronistic. There's, there's a whole family of words that open up to your passive and also your active vocabulary with roots study. So that would be the direction I would go. If he's 14, she's got three or four years, Mm -hmm. and you can gain so much value from three or four years of study of Latin. I think that would be the direction I would suggest. Great. Okay, I have to just remind our listeners that Andrew has not previewed these questions, but it is pretty hilarious. 
in light of the fact that I'm now going to ask you a question about vocabulary. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, you ready for I'm the ready. question? All right. I am. This is from Kim. Kim. She is also watching the TWSS, which is lovely, watching Unit 9. Andrew is really encouraging students to increase their vocabulary. <laughs> Does he recommend workbooks like Worldly Wise? Or are the wordless he provides enough? He only referred to wordless and Greek-Latin roots. Well, this really just spins off the previous question. Sure. And it is, what's the best way to expand a vocabulary, to build a vocabulary? Mm -hmm. So I'll reiterate, the best way is to not let words go by mm -hmm. and ignore them because you don't understand them. But right. to have the habit when reading, find out what that word means. Go back and reread that sentence or that paragraph again. That habit can be cultivated in children or it cannot be cultivated. And when I poll groups of teenagers, about two-thirds of them willingly admit that when they see a word they don't know, they just skip it. Right. So if we can have the goal, this is part of our great feast. Why would we skip the word when eating it would make the whole feast so much better? I think of how we demonstrate a new unit, for example, when we read the story or we read the source text. Part of the practice is just to stop and ask the students, do you know this word? And exactly. ask them, do you know this word? And if they don't, you tell them, oh, this means fatal. It, I mean, this word fatal means they're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. In terms of workbooks, my experience, and I think a lot of people have noticed that when kids do workbooks, mm -hmm. most of the time, mm -hmm. their purpose is to fill in all the blanks and turn the page. And so it becomes kind of an exercise of fill it in, turn it, forget it, fill it in, turn it, forget it, fill it. And you go through a whole workbook and you say, what do you learn? Well, I really don't know. I didn't mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. learn that much. This is why our approach on putting words into the writing, and just cultivating that habit of looking for the strong verbs and the quality adjectives and the appropriate adverbs and the right word choice, moving words from lists or from a thesaurus through your brain and onto the paper mm -hmm. doesn't just make your writing better, we hope. Sometimes a goofy word gets in and it's maybe not better, but Generally, it makes the writing better, but more than that, it makes the writer better. Mm -hmm. Because if a word jumps off a list and through your brain onto the paper a few times, it's going to get stuck. It's going to get built in to the vocabulary infrastructure of your mind, mm -hmm. furnishing the mind properly. So I would say all things being equal, you could probably use time better than a workbook mm -hmm. approach. Mm -hmm. But then I wouldn't criticize someone who says, well, this is what we do and it seems to work for mm -hmm. us. Exactly. Yep. And I think of our word list as Kim, as you mentioned, that's a great way. Learning Latin, another great way that Andrew mentioned. And I also think of our fix-it grammar. It does it have grammar. vocabulary built into it, the program. It does have vocabulary built in, uh, just one word a day. Yeah. And a lot of them are familiar to kids. Some of them, I didn't even know what they were mm -hmm. I'm teaching mm -hmm. through Chanticleer. Right. And there's words I, I didn't know myself. Well, that. that is level five. So level five. It's yeah. pretty high level. The other thing would be a sin of omission to forget to mention our excellent Word Right Now Absolutely. book. The Wordless on Steroids. Wordless on Steroids. And then the compressed economy version mm -hmm. 
is our IEW Writing Tools mm-hmm. app. What, mm-hmm. what is it? Five bucks? Yes. $4.99. And you carry around in your pocket this mm-hmm. magnificent organized mm-hmm. list of words for writers. Yep. I've shown that to many adults who immediately say, i got to have that. i got to have that one. That's right. Exactly. Okay. I think we have time for one more question. I save the best for last because it might be the hardest. Okay. okay. I'm up for it. This is from Kay. She asks, can you please discuss more on character study for reading, comprehension, and writing? I'm not quite sure if she's talking about literary analysis type of activity or character study in terms of character building type. And what I would say is that we do want to be careful not to proverbial kill the puppy. We Mm -hmm. don't want to get into an analytical Mm -hmm. exercise that would perhaps destroy the joy Mm -hmm. of the thing. Mm -hmm. However, talking about it in a relaxed, fun Mm -hmm. way, following the little rabbit trails, Mm -hmm. seeing where the child or the group is going, what comparisons can they make? Mm -hmm. What divisions can they make? What kind of insights might they have as Mm -hmm. they contemplate a character? This is a very, very valuable activity. I do believe that Adam Andrews, in his Teaching the Classics Mm -hmm. course, really gets people going in the right direction. His Socratic list in the back of the book that he has with the course is very handy. Mm -hmm. I remember as a young teacher, when I wanted to facilitate a conversation, I didn't feel like I really was good at that. Mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted. I just wasn't sure how to get there. Right. And when I did that first teaching the classics version long ago, mm-hmm. I actually did the filming and the editing of the very first <laughs> version. So I got to listen to it. Many times. Yeah, a dozen <laughs> times. And it really empowered me to then go in and say, let's do a book discussion. Let's have a class on that. Right. I think her question also may be pointed at how do you develop characters as a writer in short stories or in books? That I'm less qualified to speak on because I really don't write and have not written much fiction, Mm -hmm. nor do I think I have much of an aptitude or desire to do so. Mm -hmm. But certainly there are people who have. Mm -hmm. Lee Roddy who put together our little how to write a story and then Mm -hmm. how to write your novel, has some discussion of character development. Mm -hmm. And then probably the best thing that I did in terms of teaching that was to use someone else's curriculum, and that is the one-year adventure novel, Mm -hmm. which isn't going to answer every question, but it's certainly going to go much more in-depth on how do you not just describe characters, Mm -hmm. but build personality into Mm -hmm. characters. Mm -hmm. And if Kay here has a child who's very, very interested in writing fiction, that might be a good option for her. Right. And of course, all of the the good stuff you learn with the structure and style, particularly the dress-ups and openers and decorations and, and devices, those carry right on into the novel writing. So while we don't sell that one year adventure novel course, I taught through it one year and found it to be very interesting, and some of the kids really enjoyed it a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that'd be another option. There's also a Christian Writers Association of some sort, and they offer coaching to young people who want to become Mm -hmm. fiction writers. Right. So 
perhaps by using Adam Andrews' methods of discussing character and making that a separate assignment. And then when they get to a unit three or a unit five, or maybe they have a character, they can use some of the elements that they're studying for character and infuse them in their characters that they're writing in the story. That would probably be the bottom level. Yeah, I think there'd be also some interesting alternative assignments we Mm -hmm. might come up with in terms of imitation. Yes. We have our little author imitation. I love that. It's now part of Unit 7. I do it in the continuation courses. Mm -hmm. You could probably read a book, take a character, Mm -hmm. and then try to write another episode, another Mm. chapter, another little adventure or something with that same character so that it's the character is built. Now your task is to maintain that Mm -hmm. through the dialogue, through the appearance, through mm-hmm. the actions, etc. So there might be some some good little uh, exercises that could be done to polish those writing skills. So Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice becomes the girl who cried wolf. And how would that character be in that story? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be more like Odysseus is a stockbroker. <laughs> there but, you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, these are always enjoyable, Andrew. And I hope that was helpful for those of you that we took care of your question. It's always fun to do. And I guess this is episode 90? 90, yes. So we're we're... 10 away from the big 100. The big 100. We'll have to plan something really special. Something really special for episode 100. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.